Welcome to Healthy Births, Happy Babies, where we share tips, tools, and stories grounded in natural childbirth and parenting principles, so that instead of feeling overwhelmed and confused during this exciting time in your life, you feel safe, supported, and empowered in your childbirth and parenting journey. And now, here's your host, Dr. Jay Warren. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Healthy Births, Happy Babies. I'm Dr. Jay Warren. I'm the Family Wellness Chiropractor and the Wellness Care Coordinator here at the CAP Wellness Center. And today we have Dr. Sarah Buckley here to share her wisdom on the natural hormonal physiology of childbearing. Uh, she is quite an authority in this subject. Her book, Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering, has an excellent description of that infinite wisdom that the body has and how it creates these hormones perfectly to have this birth process be so powerful and so natural. And she's here today to share that information with you directly. Uh, But before I bring her on, I just want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, the Cap Wellness Center that makes this podcast possible for you. The CAP Wellness Center in Encinitas, California has assembled an incredible team of fully certified holistic healthcare professionals that offer the very best in prenatal, postpartum, and pediatric wellness services. We offer acupuncture, chiropractic, massage, yoga, lactation support services, and a wide variety of birth education classes to ensure that you are fully able to experience the power of birth. And now let me introduce Dr. Sarah Buckley to you. Dr. Sarah Buckley is a family physician out of Brisbane, Australia. She's trained in family physician obstetrics. She's the author of the internationally best-selling book, Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering, and the scientific report, Hormonal Physiology of Childbearing, published with Childbirth Connection here in the U.S., Sarah's work supports parents and professionals to be well-informed, to listen to their hearts and instincts, and to acknowledge the rightful place of parents as the real experts in their bodies, babies, and families. Sarah is currently combining mothering her four children with her work as a writer and lecturer on pregnancy, birth, and parenting. And now let me turn you over to my discussion with Dr. Sarah Buckley. All right, Dr. Buckley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, I'm really excited to have you here, and I know the listeners are going to get so much out of the wisdom that you have to share, really about you know natural birth is what we're all about here, of course, and your work on the hormonal blueprint during labor is just fascinating. I've, I've read it through your Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering book, and I would really love for you to be able to share that information because it really ties together a lot of... Um, ideas that are so helpful in a woman having a natural birth. So thank you in advance for being here to do that for them. Yeah, my pleasure. (laughs) Well, and I read your um, bio at the beginning um, to introduce yourself, but just before we jump into that subject, if you could just tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got interested in all of this, uh, the pregnancy and mothering information. Yeah, so I'm a family physician or GP as we say in Australia by training. I'm not working in that way at the moment. I had my four babies at home. Uh, My youngest is 15 now and that kind of changed a lot of things in my life as uh, the mothers and fathers amongst you will uh, will know and I started to get excited about the processes of labor and birth. I had such beautiful experiences. I wanted other people to have those experiences and I guess I also wanted to know how do you have those experiences, like what's kind of the formula 
And um, there isn't really a, a formula that's going to work for everybody, but I really um, got fascinated with the hormonal physiology. I was inspired by people like Michelle O'Don, and you know, and also you know my own experience of ecstasy after birth, of pleasure, of reward, um, was so different to what I'd learned at medical school. And when I did my GP obstetric training, I didn't hear anything about that. Um, and also in our culture, we don't really tend to see birth as a positive experience. So there was a big gap there for me. And I guess my life's work, you know, what I'm most passionate about is, you know, what is that gap and how do we fill it in and how do the hormones work? And then, you know, as I researched and wrote more about this, I um, I also learned the things that can really interfere with that, that hormone hormonal flow or that hormonal physiology as I've come to call it and you know um, I've written about it in my book um, I've written a, a, a report that came out last year I was um, I was asked by Childbirth Connection in the US with funding from Donor and Mars to write a report hormonal physiology of childbearing so that's available online as well we'll put the links up there um, with a lot of detail about this you know the, and the point is that it is all you know there's science underlying this we can actually see what happens to a woman's hormones in labor and birth we can see what happens when we bring in various interventions, we can see what happens afterwards as well. And we also have some information about the hormonal experiences for the baby. So, um, you know, it's a really fascinating view of labor and birth. And, and sometimes I call it Mother Nature's superb design because it really underlines that bo our bodies are superbly designed for this, um, you know, critical reproductive event. And, you know, the other interesting perspective that's come out of this work for me is looking at the origins of our superb design. You know, we're, we're mammals. Um, as far as we know, placental mammals have been around for about 65 million years and that's the evolution of human birth. That's how long it's been going on for but the vast majority of that evolution has been in the wild. So the superb design is actually um, within the environment of the wilderness and it really explains a lot of you know, what happens for women labour and birth and you know some common experiences that we have and one of the things I say in my work is that you know the whole context of labour and birth is designed so that the labouring female and I mean of any mammalian species actually feels private, safe and unobserved in labour. You know, that's how it was for our foremothers giving birth in the wild, that's how it is for any other mammal. And, you know, when we don't provide conditions where, you know, the basic needs of the labouring woman, as Michelle O'Don says, are not met, then we can end up with, with a lot of interference, a lot of disruption to this hormonal physiology. Right, and that's a, a big part of the message of your book I, I got as well as the whole concept of undisturbed birth, you know, to um, go along with what you're saying about mammalian birth, that if there are disruptions in the birth process, it'll slow things down in the wild, and that absolutely happens if um, there's a lot of interventions used. So um, maybe we should talk first about like the hormones of birth and kind of the normal cascade and the normal process and how infinitely wisdom the body is during that process, and then maybe touch on how some of those interventions might disrupt that process. Yeah, that's great. Okay, let's talk about that. So there's a, a huge number of hormones involved in labor and birth. We don't understand the half of it. We don't even know what causes the onset of labor and birth in humans. I'd get a Nobel Prize if I could tell you that. So there's a lot of really basic information that's missing here. But the hormones that I've focused on in my work are, are oxytocin, uh, beta endorphins, adrenaline, noradrenaline, also called epinephrine, noepinephrine, and prolactin. And the reason I've focused on these hormones is because they're hormones of childbearing and you know, my report is called Hormonal Physiology of Childbearing because we're lo not looking just at childbirth but we're looking at a much wider picture. What happens outside of reproduction? What happens in pregnancy? What happens in labor and birth? And then critically, what happens after labor and birth? Because you know, just to set the scene, what I say is you know, um, that obviously you know, mother and baby have to survive the birth for 
individuals to survive or the species to survive in a kind of evolutionary sense. But also lactation or breastfeeding has to be successful. Otherwise, those babies won't survive. Yeah, And also mother-infant attachment has to be successful. The mother has to be rewarded and motivated to give the dedicated care that every mammalian mother gives to her newborn babies. And that's been true for human babies, you know, through 99.999% of human evolution as well. So childbearing involves successful birth, successful lactation and successful mother-infant attachment and all of those things are actually part of the process of childbearing or, or and actually interwoven into the processes of childbirth. So the hormones, all these hormones we're talking about, not only optimize survival for mother and baby in labor and birth, but also optimize ongoing survival for the individuals and for the species by promoting um, successful lactation and successful mother-infant attachment. So that's kind of like the big picture and now let's sort of look a little bit at the, at the detail of these hormones and I may not have time to go through all of them but I'm going to recommend that people go to my website sarahbuckley.com and subscribe to my e-list you'll get um, there's two e-books one a more simple version called Pain and Labor Your Hormones Are Your Helpers that go through this material in a really basic way and if you want to know all the detail the kind of things I'm talking about you can sign up to the professional e-list and get the e-book called Ecstatic Birth Nature's Hormonal Blueprint for Labor that was actually an article I wrote for the US magazine Mothering Magazine back in 2000 and two, and I'm always updating it. So some you know really good information to take home, so you don't have to remember everything I'm saying. Sure, the ecstatic um, birthy book is uh, I read it, it's fantastic, and it's a great link to the other chapters in your other book. So yeah, we'll definitely make sure that's yeah, available that, for the listeners to get in right. touch. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, thanks. So, yeah, so these ecstatic hormones, as I call them, you know, um, are, are part of the processes of labor and birth and then also optimize breastfeeding and mother-infant attachment. So, you know, oxytocin is probably the most famous one. Probably everyone's heard of that one. It's uh, It's been called the hormone of love because it's originally been shown to be um, associated with um, having babies, making babies, breastfeeding babies. It's a critical reproductive hormone in all mammals. But even more than that, it's actually a hormone of interaction action of connectedness. It's been called a hormone of calm and connection. So any mammals, when they interact with other individuals, they release oxytocin. Um, more intimate interactions like hugging, it's been called the cuddle hormone. When we hug ventrum to ventrum, front to front, we release oxytocin. Um, and, when we, and when we make love, we literally make oxytocin the hormone of love. So all of those things. And you probably also know out there that it's the hormone that's released in pulses in labor and birth and causes the rhythmic contractions of labor. So at the same time that it's released into the body causing these rhythmic contractions, it's also released within the brain. So we're going to have these calming, connecting and actually pain relieving effects. It's kind of helpful in labor, right? Mother Nature really mm-hmm. you know, wants it to make them, wants to make giving birth a positive experience for mother and baby. So all of these things are happening in labor and birth. But I just want to go back a step to illustrate something else, that it doesn't happen in isolation. You know, labor and birth is such a critical event for all mammals that there's days and weeks and months, we could say nine months almost of preparation for this critical point so that the, the baby's ready for life outside the womb, that the mother's ready for an efficient labor and birth because kind of going back a step into giving birth in the wild, you know, a laboring female is vulnerable in the wild. She's making these strange noises. There's these smells, the amniotic fluid, the blood. There's this tasty little morsel that comes out at the end, as I say, <laughs> that any predator would love to gobble up, you know, and she's not very well prepared for fight or flight. It's kind of tricky, right? 
So the duration of labor is really important. So labor is designed to be an efficient process, yeah, as, as few hours or as possible so that the duration of exposure to those risks is reduced. So oxytocin contributes to that because there's all these pre-labor preparations. So um, just going back a step into some basic physiology. So a hormone is a, a chemical made in one part of the body and it has effects in another part of the body. And it has effects by binding what, with what we call a, a hormone receptor. So it's a bit like putting a key into a lock. So the oxytocin hormone binds to the receptor, puts the key into a lock, turns the lock and sends it into the cell. So for oxytocin, released from the laboring woman's brain in labor, travels through the bloodstream, finds those uterine oxytocin receptors in the mother's uterus, binds to those, turns that lock, sends a signal into the cell saying contract. So that's how oxytocin causes contractions. And just as oxytocin levels can go up and down, receptor levels can also go up and down. So if I'm saying that, you know, birth is designed to be efficient, you can guess that before the onset of labor, there's an increase in oxytocin receptors in the laboring mother's uterus and we've got all that information you can read it in my books and the report so you know there, there the woman is poised at the onset of labor for the most efficient labor possible because she's got this optimal number of oxytocin receptors and when she releases her own oxytocin in labor the whole thing's going to cascade we call it a hormonal cascade and um, I describe it a bit like a snowball effect you know mm. um, in some physiologic processes you know, they're designed to be homeostatic that the process stays the same you know like our thyroid hormones stay the same all the time like you know, um, it's, you know, kind of going at a, at a in a straight line, but but labour isn't a homeostatic process. It's um it's an it's an upward sloping process on a graph. Things get bigger and bigger, so that we in the end there's this incredible force that that's um, effective in pushing the baby out. So there's these um, hormonal cascades, and sometimes I call it a snowball effect. It starts smaller and gets bigger and bigger, and in the end, you know, labour labour is virtually unstoppable. So there's all these positive feedback loops of oxytocin, for example, when it's really Released in the brain, it actually causes more release within the brain. So there's a snowballing effect, and um, <clears throat> the, the oxytocin and its receptors working during labour and birth um, contribute to this snowball effect. And um, you know, people listening may may have an experience of this. You know, in the beginning, that labour is quite um, you know like a small snowball. You can sort of disrupt it easily. You know, women may have had this experience. They they're in labour, they're going well at home, and they go to hospital and they're not feeling private, safe, and unobserved. And then everything stops. You know, because you're not in this ideal um, environment as far as your primitive brain is concerned. And usually, you know, you settle in for a bit, and um, you know, you start to feel more comfortable, and and then it can resume. Or, or even more, even more cleverly, you take someone in with you, like a doula or your own midwife, who can you know, help you to feel private, safe, and unobserved in this, um, you know, place that's foreign and, and, and in relation to your primitive brain is actually quite dangerous. So, you know, so you know that's what happens at the beginning of labour if you move, but at the end of labour, you know, if you if you don't move till the end of labour, and this is probably more likely to happen with a second or subsequent baby because labour is that much faster and more efficient. But sometimes moving into hospital at that really intense time of labour actually can actually promote labour and you know it's a bit like if danger occurs in the wild and and the woman's at that stage or the the labouring females at that stage where the snowball is unstoppable, the whole process is unstoppable, it makes much more sense to promote you know, that the mother gives birth quickly and easily can scoop up her babies and run away in the presence of danger than to try and stop labour when it's almost unstoppable. So again, you know, going into labour at that time, the woman often has a baby in the lift or just as she comes in the door within half an hour of arriving because that kind of sense of danger can actually pr pr promote labour rather than inhibit labour. So that's a really good um, 
really good thing to remember, especially if you're a first-time mama, because it is going to be slower. Most likely, it is going to take longer. So staying at home until labor is at that unstoppable stage is really good advice. And there's some studies showing that that you know, reduces the number of interventions um, you know, and, and, and gives good outcomes. So again, you may want to have a doula, a midwife, someone that can give you some support at home and really help you to transition to hospital. And um, <clears throat> I do workshops on this. I've got a workshop called Undisturbing Birth. And I ask midwives, you know, we talk about how can we undisturb birth? And one of the midwives said to me, I know it's time for the woman to go to hospital, i.e. she's in that unstoppable part of labor when she can't remember her phone number. So <laughs> she's sunk down so deeply into that process that she's in her primitive brain and her limbic system where all these hormonal processes are happening. And, um, you know, she's not going to be disrupted or much less likely to be disrupted by that transition to a, to a, a place that's strange or, you know, p- possibly dangerous in relation to her primitive brain. Right. And is it those other hormones, like the fight or flight hormones, that kick in in that spot that you're talking about where it just kind of cascades it even further? Yes, exactly. So, you know, we have um, beta endorphins, which are those hormones that help with pain. It also put the woman into this altered state of consciousness that we're talking about where she can't remember her phone number. So, you know, it's designed to do that. They're powerful analgesic hormones. They're designed to be in the right place at the right time so that as the woman goes deeper into labor, she enters this altered state of consciousness where she's really focused on her body. She can listen to the messages from her body. She can tune into her baby. She'll make these sometimes quite unusual movements. She may, you know, Know, work may go and get into this really asymmetrical position that her baby needs to help the baby to, to come down easily through the birth canal um, and you know in that older state of consciousness you know she's helping she's getting help with the stress and pain of labor and also the other thing that's happening and this is something that you know I, I learned a lot from doing this research and especially writing my report is that these beta endorphins also powerfully stimulate the pleasure and reward centers of the brain they're analogous to heroin and morphine and pet those drugs that people can get powerfully addicted to because they so powerfully stimulate their reward centers. And, you know, that's really telling us that Mother Nature designs labor and birth to be a positive event, you know, to have, that we come out of it feeling positive and rewarded and euphoric and ecstatic even. And, you know, what I believe happens, and again, we have evidence from animals and some evidence from humans as well, is that that um, stimulation, that imprinting, we could say, of the reward centers, particularly after the birth, then actually has an ongoing effect of associating the baby with pleasure. So when you have this ecstatic experience of labor and birth, your baby is an ongoing source of pleasure to you and all those things that you have to do to care for your baby that every mammalian mother has to do to care for her baby become rewarding, which is, of course, why animals, you know, elephants, sheep, mice, they don't go to prenatal classes to learn how to care for their baby. All these hormones kick in during labor and birth that make caring for their baby pleasurable and rewarding and that. That's why they do it. Hmm. So we're in a bit of a sidetrack there. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, um, my workshops, I say, you know, we call it going to labor land, going to another planet. It's important to know that you do enter this altered state of consciousness and labor. And it's not, there's nothing wrong. Yeah, that's what's actually yeah. meant to happen. So being in a situation where you can feel safe to do that is really important. And um, apparently one of the Native American tribes describes that the laboring mother goes out to the stars to collect the soul of her baby and bring it back. Mm. So that's wow, what's happening that's in, in labor. So then we have the fight or flight hormones, adrenaline, noradrenaline, epinephrine, noepinephrine. And they also actually increase as labor progresses as well. You know, we enter this altered state. Just excuse me, I was going to cough. <coughs> 
we enter this altered state where, you know, we're in this, you know, going out to the stars to collect the soul of our, our babies, but we're also in this kind of, we could say, almost hypervigilant state. So a laboring woman has adrenaline levels that are like eight and a half times what she normally has at that time of day in late pregnancy because she needs to be alert, right? She's out in the wild there and she needs to, to be really alert. Any sign of danger, a strange smell, a strange noise. So again, if you've been in labor or been with someone in labor, you know that women are in this incredible state of consciousness where they're kind of in this dreamy state. But if you say something about their safety or their baby's safety, even in the next room, they can hear it because they've got these, you know, super, supernatural senses and that's exactly what they need in the wild. So there's this natural increase in these hormones of alertness, you know, fight or flight hormones, hormones of excitement, I call them, as labor progresses. However, if you know, there is a, a danger in early labor, I call it the saber-toothed tiger effect and the woman gets a surge of hormones. We talked about moving to hospital has the same effect. It will slow down or even stop labor. And then at the end of labor, as we talked about, if she gets a surge of hormones, it will promote labor. That's called the fetus ejection reflex. So you know, really important hormones in labor and birth, hormones to be respectful of and the way that we're respectful of these hormones in labor and birth is to make sure that we're laboring in a situation where the laboring mother feels pride it's safe and unobserved. So, you know, in fact, when you look at the hormonal physiology of childbearing, of having a baby, it's almost identical to the hormonal physiology of making a baby. So we actually need the same conditions. You know, the more, you know, um, the more this environment that you're setting up for labor and birth is an environment you could make a baby in, the more you'll help those hormones to flow. Hmm. Huh. That's amazing. And to think of, like that, the epinephrine, like kind of that adrenaline response is a, you know, one, of course, natural, but something that's actually even helping the birth along instead of thinking like, oh, that's fight or flight. We don't want that. We want you to be in a arrested state, but it actually is, is part of the crescendo, huh? That's right. And also, you know, uh, I mentioned in the beginning that these hormones are not just hormones of labor and birth, they're also hormones of childbearing, of lactation, of maternal infant attachment. So um, mm. just going back a step, oxytocin is a hormone of lactation. It's the letdown, the, the milk ejection reflex hormone. So, so um, uh, also a hormone of attachment um, in, all anim- in all mammals, um, oxytocin helps mothers and babies to bond to each other. Better endorphins are also released during breastfeeding um, and during mother-infant interaction because it's rewarding the mother for taking care of her baby. And actually in... um animal studies, noradrenaline, norepinephrine is also a critical hormone of maternal behaviors. Like if you, you know, if you breed mice to be deficient in noradrenaline, they don't take care of their babies unless mm. you inject noradrenaline into the animal's brain during labor and birth, because that's what's happening in labor and birth. The release of these hormones is helping to switch on this, we could, we could call it maternal circuits, the, these, all of these hormones that add up to um, a positive, you know, a, a, um, a physiologic response to the baby after the birth to take care of the baby um, and as I said you know it's something that, that naturally happens in other animals so we have to presume that it happens in labor and birth and there's a couple of human studies looking at that um, one of them was an MRI study where they looked at women two to four weeks after giving birth who'd either had a pre-labor cesarean so none of this hormone cascade that we're talking about and in fact none of the preparations we talked about the oxytocin receptors in the mother's uterus preparing her for an efficient labor and birth but an animal study there's also increases in oxytocin, prolactin, endorphin receptors in the mother's brain as well to switch on those instinctive mothering and in the breasts as well of oxytocin and prolactin to switch on the lactation system. 
even before labour and birth to get it working. So, you know, the mother who's had a pre-labour cesarean misses out not just on the hormonal cascade of labour and birth, but also on the full preparation. She's not going to have the full pre-labour physiologic preparations. And then they compared those women with um, a woman who'd had a physiologic labour and birth without the major interventions. And they found they put them in an MRI machine and played them the sound of their baby crying. And what happened was the women who'd been through a physiologic labour and birth, parts of their brain lit up. That's what you you can see on an MRI, you can see the blood flow, which is showing which parts of the brain are being used. So it's the empathy centers, the reward and pleasure centers, and the alertness centers saying, this is my baby, I need to do something about, but it's also my baby's rewarding to me, yeah? And so the women who'd been through a pre-labor cesarean didn't have that same activation of all those centers in their brain. They hadn't had that stimulation, that imprinting, we could say, of the hormonal peaks after physiologic labor and birth to switch that on. And, and by the way, I'm not saying that you can't, you know, be a... a attuned, dedicated, rewarded, you know, a pleasure, ple you get pleasure from your baby if you have a pre-labor cesarean, but there's a gap there, you've missed something and it's going to take more work. Yeah, the, the labor and birth is designed to be really efficient that these things get switched on in those few hours or, you know, day or two of labor um, in a very efficient way such that it kicks in immediately after labor and birth. And if you, if you miss that and, and inevitably sometimes for some women it's the safest course to have a pre-labor cesarean or some other kind of intervention. If you miss that, you can catch it up, but it's, it takes a lot more work. You know, you've got a, a breastfeeding releases these hormones, maternal infant contact, especially skin to skin releases these hormones, but it's going to take a lot more of that. You know, many days of breastfeeding, many days of skin to skin contact to make up for what would have happened at that maximal point of readiness with the physiologic labor and birth. So what are what are some of the things you'd recommend a woman to do like during this process to keep that flow going so that that cascade operates as it's designed to? Yeah, good question. So it's really very basic. You know, we talked about the little bit about the, the things that happened before labor and birth. So the increase in receptors in the mother's uterus, which is going to give an efficient labor and birth in her breast and in her brain. Well, that's animal studies. We haven't had any woman put up her hand to have those parts of her body sample before the onset of labor, but do contact <laughs> me if you're willing to do that. It would be a great benefit to science. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, we know from animal studies and, you know, almost certainly it's going to be in women because we have the same humans. We're mammals. We have the same need for successful lactation, successful mother-infant attachment. So all those pre-labor preparations and um, when I do my presentations, I use an analogy. I show a picture of, um, of the royal wedding, the English royal wedding, and I say, you know, being induced or having a pre-labor cesarean is a bit like William and Kate turning up at Westminster Cathedral two weeks before the wedding and expecting everything to happen. It's just all the preparations are not in place. It's not going to be the same experience. So there is going to be a gap. So, you know, my advice is, you know, as far as possible, as far as safely possible you want a physiologic onset of labor and birth so that your body's ready your baby's at that peak of maximal readiness because all of these things I'm talking about for the mother also apply to the baby there's increase in receptors for the baby to um, optimize this transition from hotel of the womb as I call it to life outside the womb um, so you know physiologic onset of labor and birth for you and your baby is optimal and we know for example pre-labor cesarean babies are more likely to have difficulties with breathing because their, their respiratory system isn't activated, isn't ready, and then isn't activated through labor and birth. They're more likely to be cold because their temperature regulating systems aren't activated. Um, they're more likely to have a low blood sugar because their whole metabolic system hasn't been prepared for this um, incredible transition to life outside the womb. So physiologic onset of labor is, um, is my number one. Number two is, you know, what situation can you set up for yourself that, that you can be as 
private, safe and unobserved as possible. And for most women, it means, you know, early labor until you're really an established labor at home, you know, ideally with someone that can support you, whatever support you need to feel safe. You know, for some people, it might be having, you know, just your partner there with someone on the phone you could ring if you had any problems for some people. Well, it might be having a doula and a midwife. Whatever it is, everyone's individual and what makes them feel safe. And um, you know, for most most Western women, you know, the more people we have there, the less safe we feel. You know, the primitive brain is kind of sorting out are these people dangerous or safe to me. Um, you know, for, it depends on your culture too. In some cultures, you know, the more people you have around you, the safer you are. Um, so again, that's very that you know, you want to put some thought into that. What's the environment? You know, and we're talking about the primitive brain here. So you know, smells are really important. For familiar smells so you know again in my workshops we talk about how can we can help women to transition and one of the ones I really like is taking your own pillow you know a pillow will give you a familiar smell and you can bury your face in it and shut out you know the sounds and the sights of um, of your environment which are you know to some extent going to trigger your primitive brain so feeling private safe and unobserved you know taking what you need to take if you're going to hospital to you know to help you to feel familiar to really soothe that primitive brain and you know take a person that can support you and I say your doula your own midwife is like is like you know a, a circle of elephants you know elephants in the wild are surrounded by a circle of female helpers who sway in time with the laboring female and soothe her with their trunks and um, obviously form a formidable barrier too so taking your own circle of elephants however that is for you and you know I really recommend taking someone more than your partner because you know your partner's going to be in a strange environment too and you know they're probably not going to be a situation where they can you know form that that um, sense of safety for you so a doula a midwife as I said you know some people maybe someone who's really you know a relative or friend who's very experienced but I, I would say the default would be a doula or a midwife and you know going back a step choosing the model of care choosing your caregiver you know thinking through to the end you know what's going to happen in my labor and birth with this person is this a person I feel safe with you know like thinking about that in the very beginning when you engage your maternity care provider and um, um and then, you know, you want someone also who's going to respect that space after the birth because all of these hormones we talked about are, you know, reach peak levels in that hour after birth. And you now it's when Mother Nature, as I say, you know, gives you your, you know, so when, when a woman has a baby, she graduates as a mother and that hour after birth is our postgraduate education where these peaks of hormones are imprinting and marinating, we could say, our brains and the brains of our babies to form those incredible lifelong, you know, bonds and reward and pleasure and euphoria, you know, Michelle Adon calls it the beginning of a great love affair, you know, and it's a good feeling, but it's also all about species survival. So those are the kind of considerations. And you know, also you want to avoid as much um, intervention as possible. And I'm, I'm saying in a safe way. And, you know, so epidurals, for example, they reduce your oxytocin, they reduce your beta endorphins, they interfere with your adrenaline, noradrenaline and your prolactin. Um, cesareans, obviously, are going to have some effect, whether it's a pre-labor cesarean or an in-labor cesarean. It's going to interfere with your hormones and your baby's hormones to some extent. Um, having um, other pain-relieving drugs probably reduces your endorphins yourself. You know, the body goes, oh, there's no stress and pain here. I don't need to make endorphins to reduce stress and pain. And you also, you know, it's this typically with an epidural the woman loses that altered state of consciousness she becomes more kind of normal which is not normal in labor and birth right that's mm -hmm. that's an abnormality in labor and birth and then you know if these things are necessary because sometimes they are sometimes the safest course of action is a pre-labor cesarean so you know identify what's the gap here what hormones am i missing and how can i fill in that gap and as i mentioned the, you know the, the two big things there are breastfeeding which releases um, all these hormones that we're talking about and also skin-to-skin -skin contact 
impact. And um, I'll just share an anecdote of a woman. It was a story I read in a, in a magazine actually who'd had two natural or we could say physiologic labor and birth you know, with her body's healthy processes working optimally. And then her third baby, she needed a pre-labor cesarean and, and said, when, my, when I got my baby out, after the birth, my baby was different. My baby felt different to those other my other babies, and the baby wasn't in this sort of peak hormonal state. The baby didn't have their own peaks of oxytocin and endorphins, and and uh, had acolamines as well. And she said, you know, my instinct was to have my baby skin to skin with me. And after three days of skin to skin, my baby was the same. And you know, that really illustrates exactly what I'm talking about. It's a much less effective process if you miss labour and birth. There's a gap there, but it can be filled in, but it's going to take longer. Right. Well, and I think your distinction of, um, you know, the hormonal physiology of childbearing and the distinction between that between childbirth is really important. And that bearing is a process, a much broader reaching process um, to understand that it's not just to, you know, get the baby out, but it also helps with that bonding afterwards. That's exactly right. And some of the problems with our current maternity care system is we're only looking at birth. You know, we say birth over here, these are maternity care professionals and you give birth, you know, and there's breastfeeding over here and you have breastfeeding professionals if you're having problems. And there's attachment over here, you know, and you see a psychologist, but it's a bit, bit late by then. You know, it's it, but from mother nature's perspective, it's all one system. And if we only focus on birth and, you know, and, you know ha having a safe birth, obviously that's important. But, but if we focus exclusively on that and we don't don't actually know what we're doing to interfere with those hormones of birth. As we talked about, we can actually mess up breastfeeding, we can actually mess up attachment and that's really, and also women don't get that, you know, euphoria and that, I would say, you know, mental and emotional well-being that comes after a physiologic labor and birth. I couldn't find a lot of research about that in my report, but my hunch is that, you know, postpartum emotional and mental well-being would be optimized by physiologic labor and birth as well. Yeah, it would, it only makes sense that uh, that it would. Well, um, Sarah, this has been amazing, and um, if, with the last couple minutes, um, tell us uh, or tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you, like through your website and uh, specifically for those eBooks, and we'll we'll provide the links, but just remind us. Yeah, so my website's sarahbuckley.com and you can go there and subscribe to my updates and get um, these ebooks that will have a lot of the information I've said to you. You can also go and download my report, Hormonal Physiology of Childbearing. It's very detailed. There's 1,141 scientific references, but if you want the whole story on all the science behind it, go there. Um, I'm also recommending some programs I'm um, in the process of releasing. I've got a website called Gentle Natural Birth, which is a membership website, and it's really designed to help women through the whole process of pregnancy so that when they get to labor and birth, they're optimally prepared, they have everything they need. So um, the Gentle Natural Birth Early Pregnancy Program has been released, and we're working on the mid and the late pregnancy programs. And, you know, really the focus is on how can we help women to feel confident and supported to trust their bodies because, you know, from my perspective, that's the big thing that's missing at the moment there's so much information out there you know so much talk about there out there about how dangerous birth is but as i said you know we're all part of mother nature's superb design and how can we understand that and trust our body is the focus of my program so that's gentlenaturalbirth.com and we have the early pregnancy program up and the mid and late pregnancy programs running but if you sign up for my um, ebooks you'll get my update 
can get all that information as well. Okay, and I'll make sure that those links are in the podcast notes as well as on our website with uh, with the blog post that we'll set up there. Um, so thank you for those. Those are amazing offers. Um, with our last couple of questions, uh, what what's the major take home you'd like uh, a mom listening to this right now to what kind of the major points you'd like her to leave this discussion with? Well, I think the thing is that the first thing, you know, and really the focus of my work is your body is superbly designed for pregnancy, for labor and birth, for breastfeeding, for attaching and being rewarding and having pleasure from your baby. It's all part of the nature superb design. And, you know, you can optimize the superb design by trusting your body, trusting your baby, you know, having um, minimizing the interventions as far as safely possible. And you can get more information from my book. And really, you know, I also encourage you to, you know, talk to your partner about this. And, you know, the, the guys love this information because it, it really explains in a left brain scientific way why women are so drawn to physiologic birth, why, you know, 95% of women want a physiologic labor and birth because we know sort of in our instincts and in our hearts and in our wombs that this is what's going to turn on all of those beneficial physiologic processes that's going to optimize not just the outcome of labor and birth but lifelong health and well-being for us and our babies and the second you know the third thing I want to say is that that message that we need to feel private safe and unobserved in labor so that rule of thumb that you know is this you know if you to choose a place where you could optimally have your hormones flow in labor and birth is the same place that you could optimally have your hormones flow in making a baby. Yeah. Well, and the last question I'd like to ask you is what what message would you have for the little baby that's listening, either through mama's womb, um, she's listening to this podcast before she's even born, or maybe to the baby that's listening through mama in her arms that's already here. What what message or pearl of wisdom do you have for them? I think for the babies, you know, it's it's the same thing really that the whole thing is Mother Nature's superb design and it's designed to be a pleasurable experience for the baby as well actually. You know, there's been all these decades of debate is, you know, how, what's the birth experience for the baby and, um, you know, my youngest daughter who's um, 15 now, she told me, she, she, she told me the story. She, um, we had this fantastic day one time. We went to the beach. We saw a movie. She had fish and chips and she, at the end of it, she said to me, that was the second best day of my life and I said to her, what was the best day of your life, and she said the day I was born. Mm. So it's designed to be a positive, rewarding experience for the baby as well. And that's what I want the babies to know, that that's actually your birthright. And, you know, and, and all these things that the mamas can do will benefit the babies as well. Well, thank you, Sarah. This has just been an amazing discussion. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. And I, I really appreciate your time to be able to share all of this for our listeners. And I know it'll make a huge difference for, for their birth. So thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure, Jane. Yeah, thank you for what you're doing and for what out there is doing for mothers, babies, fathers, and families. You know, it's a really important part of, you know, um, the whole in, in our culture and in our families. Yes. Well, I hope we can uh, continue the discussion at some other time. And um, until we connect again, I, I just want to thank you again. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about this episode and other natural childbirth and parenting topics, please visit us at capwellnesscenter.com or message us on our Facebook page with any questions you might have. We here at the Cap Wellness Center look forward to helping you and your family be as happy and healthy as you can be.